Welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And on the heels of last week's episode on deconstruction, I was just thinking over the past week how that relates to the project, I guess, of Uh sharing one's faith. So communicating it to somebody else. Right. With an intent to persuade or just in... Well, we can get to that in a moment, what the motivations are, but... I think as a way to jump into this, recognizing how important sharing our faith was in our mm-hmm. faith communities and spiritual story. Yeah. So that was a huge value all the way growing up. I mean, and for good reason, there seems to be a lot of uh, injunction to do that in the New Testament. Yep. And, um, you know, the Great Commission. I remember it being likened to I felt a I felt a urgent sense to convince people that the house was on fire sort of a thing. Oh. In that you know in the evangelical tradition when you and it makes it makes total sense sharing your faith wasn't just like a it wasn't just let let people know about it it was convince them if you can to join your side sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Convince them that you're right about it. there's a huge problem they need to know about it. Um, and if you love them, you will tell them about it. Like sharing, you, you have some solution that they need. Um, and so, and, and not to be too pejorative or something about, it. I mean, yeah, when you're saying like that you're right or that they need to think what you think it, that is coming from a place of you think it's objectively true, right? Right. That, uh, any, you, anyone ought to be believing that it's not just my little totally that's viewpoint right. I'm trying to, that's right give to them yeah yeah there's some existential threat that we're all facing mm-hmm. I, th- I have found the solution here and you would do well to pay attention to it as well right you know? um but yeah it was it was something that certainly i gave a lot of thought to and was expected to do and it was mm-hmm. part and parcel of having a faith was sharing the faith you know and even i would say and i, and I still kind of think this but the better churches and faith communities kind of build that into like the purpose of your life yes there's there's mission to it we're, we're all on mission together this is the ultimate thrust of of why you're here yes is to at least in part part of that mission and telos and purpose of your life is to communicate the great truths of the gospel and maybe embody them right. in the world and that's a little bit of a difference than um yeah embody them in the world so I those, can, those are two yeah. different things that get emphasized. Right. It's like more so in different. It would be positions. good for a church to serve its local community and do outreach and that sort of thing and embody what they're believing. But at least circles that I grew up in, I would know people who, if the conversation never steered towards, do you know where you're going to go when you die or mm-hmm. how are you really living your life or what's your relationship with God? Then the, the community service is just sort of a pretense for that conversation if that conversation never comes up or never takes place sort of a waste of time it's good i guess that we did that but Mm -hmm. it was certainly not an end of itself the service of others right um yeah i agree like it just fell short of having ultimate or eternal significance yeah even even community like i i can remember because i used to be this way as well going to a church that would have maybe life groups or small groups and maybe some of them are like we have connect groups, you know, mm-hmm. that are here's some activity we all enjoy doing together, whether it's running or cycling or whatever. Yeah. And we get together and we do that activity. And I would always sort of be the critical one. But when do you pray or when do you open your Bible? And, and right. when does real spiritual stuff happen? It's like, well, no, the, the running together is the real spiritual stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but I did not think that way for a long time. So I guess what's interesting to me is what to do with this um, compulsion or uh, this felt need to share my faith with others. At least I have not totally shaken that sense of calling from Uh my upbringing. And I still, I think, view that as a large part of what I'm to do if I am going to be a Jesus follower. How do you do that on the other side of a deconstruction journey where you're maybe not as um, tied to some of the doctrines that initially were undergirding 
yeah. that call to action in the first place. Yeah. But presumably you've landed somewhere and you have something that you perceive to be of value in the realm of the religious that you hold on to. And in that sense, it would it, it would make sense that you would want to share that with somebody else. If you feel like you have stumbled onto a truth, be it however small it may be, mm-hmm. and that that's valuable for you, that you know something or you have hope for something um, and you think there's reasons other people should investigate the way you have, it would make sense that you'd want to share that, you know, if you right. found something good. So I can see why that desire is still with you. It's still with me. Right. Just the way I talk about it now is different. The way I approach it is really different. Yeah, absolutely. So just anecdotally, I think I've shared this on the podcast, but maybe we can talk about different ways that we used to go about doing it. That, mm-hmm. And just, and I don't even want to say right now that it was like bad right. or that I regret it or something, but just, I don't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I haven't for a decade, mm-hmm. but I used to go to downtown Cleveland. Tower City is this big mall inside one of the skyscrapers. And outside is this place called Public Square. Yeah. And you can rent a permit to do some kind of live vocal event. So we got a permit for a microphone so that we could uh, preach. Open air preaching. Open air preaching. In the town square. We would do bring our guitar. I'd bring my djembe. Yeah. We had, we had a little crew of guys. Yeah. Um, and we would play some worship songs as people, they're trying to walk to work and they're all in their suits or going to the mall. Yeah. And then and Christian what- would do, this other guy that I did it with would do some open air preaching i think i might have done it for 10 minutes or so and then got nervous and and was it was the goal there um shout stuff that that would initiate a one-on-one conversation with somebody and then persuade in one-on-one conversation how did that go down or was it you're hoping a crowd will gather and you'll you'll preach a whole sermon yeah, and then so give I, an altar call at the when end when we were firing on all cylinders there would be three or four of us two would be kind of manning the the vocal part on the microphone with music and or preaching. And then you'd have two runners kind of going around with their gospel tracks. What's that? And, and okay. Explain that for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just a little pamphlet, you know, a palm size mm-hmm. thing that has um, either just a list of truths of the gospel or a whole sequence of like a guided questionnaire a, to get them to the point of placing faith. Could in be a Jesus. comic strip. Something that mm-hmm. tells the this story. This one was uh, extremely um, severe. Was it? Yeah no, n- yeah, no artistry. Okay. It was just like, where will you die when you, or where will you go when you die, Some heaven questions. or hell? Yeah. And then it walks you through, oh, well, you violated the Ten Commandments. Was this Way of the Master? That it was inspired by that. Okay. I think this was a homebrew cook-up yep. that someone had done. So uh, you had two runners. They're out there with these tracks. Mm-hmm. And they're... they're Jumping into one-on-one conversations and they yep. wa- and they- and using what's being spoken on the microphone as kind of a launchpad. Like, hey, are you guys? What do you think of what they're saying over there? Yeah, um, yeah. And as as far as I can recall, it was not done in a like a super mean spirited way. Right. It wasn't we, turn and burn stuff. No, no. Yeah. Like we were trying to be winsome, but at the same time we were carrying this um, style or like emphasis of message on like. You're you're in trouble, you know, if you don't. Yep. Was was so was the repent. emphasis on God's love and an opportunity to step into a relationship with Him, or was it a or was it more emphasis on what will happen if you don't do those things? Or fifty fifty both. I think it would have been tailored to the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Depending on how they're responding. And can you finish walking me through the way of the master? How that conversation oh, goes? Oh, sure. Yeah. So you walk someone through the Ten Commandments specifically and show the ways that they fall short of the glory of God. So mm-hmm. have you committed adultery? Well, no, but have you lost it in your heart? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Well now you're an adulterer at heart or you're a liar at heart. You're Convince a murderer them. at heart when you've been angry. Yeah. So Convince you, them that they're guilty. They fall short of being the perfect person. Yeah. You yeah. are, you stand guilty and condemned before God. God's justice has to, punished sin and so uh luckily christ has stepped in and, and paid that penalty uh removed that guilt in a way and so if you believe in him then you will have your spend eternity guilt with, removed yeah yep. and there's a whole i mean yeah yeah more detailed way of putting <laughs> all of that and the call to action is a prayer a sinner's prayer mm-hmm. to repentance and which, yeah which is i recognize i've done wrong i'm sorry god 
will you forgive me? I want to be in relationship with you. That's the sinner's prayer in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And then we'd, uh, when that occurred, which was not very often, mm-hmm. but we would have these uh, weekly Bible study things that, that that's their next step. Yeah. Plug them into that. And uh, yeah, this was kind of a rogue thing. Was, wasn't attached to any particular church. Oh, you went with an organization? No. Which, just freestyling out yeah, there. Which is part of what made it somewhat ineffective, I think. Yeah. But, Good for you. But anyway, that was, to me, that was sharing my faith. Yep. Long ago. Yeah. Uh, now, different evolutions of that, at least for me, like uh, we used to do, or yeah, we used to do these things called water giveaways. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a hot day. I remember um, I did plenty of them with you. Yeah, yeah. And we have our whole cooler. We'd buy a bunch of bulk water bottles from Sam's Club, strap a little card to it that says, just because God loves you. Yeah. And then the info for like the local church yeah. service. And so, I mean, that was a fun time. Like Just giving out free cold water to thirsty people. Yeah. Service evangelism. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. It's hard to say there's anything wrong with doing that, you know? Yeah, like, very that's a good few thing. negative responses. Everybody like, wants free cold water. Yeah, I don't believe God loves me, or I don't believe in God, and they'd throw... Yeah. I've had people throw the water back, but... Right. I mean, it's so infrequent. Usually, they're like, oh, thank you, that's so nice. Yeah. It's a hot day, water, you know. Yeah. And it's trying to do something loving for someone. Oh, why are you guys doing this? Well, just because we love you, and, and God loves you, you know? Yeah. Now, I did always feel... I don't know if you felt a pang of dishonesty with that. I always did, because it... it it kind of felt like marketing to me as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are you guys doing this? Oh, just because we're hoping you'll come to our church. But I mean, ultimately, the reason we hope somebody comes to church is because we believe God loves them and there's a good relationship yeah, waiting yeah. there for them. You yeah, know? totally. Yeah. But just the fact that there's a, a branded yes, organization right. associated right, right. with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes sense in the the whole worldview of it. But yeah, I can yeah, I can understand why there's that. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we are hoping for some reciprocation in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not. It's not for a church that I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's not totally not <clears throat> self-interested. Anyway. Uh, what about you? Any other <clears throat> well, ways I did, that you've? I did similar stuff to you. Oh man, this is one that hits. Oh, it just came back to me when my head hits the pillow at night. You ever have those things that you did that really make you cringe? Oh, of course. And you just, you think, why did I say that? I hope to not do that every time we record. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of those that comes back to me. Um, I have been sharing my faith since elementary school. Like kids that I, I'll tell you a few cringy stories of the ways I've (laughs) tried to share my faith. So definitely just telling my friends at elementary school, like the, I believe in God and they need to believe in God. And I think I had a pretty good handle on a traditional gospel message there. Mm-hmm. Um, God, man, God, what if you do? What if you don't? So God created us for a relationship. We went our own way. God sent Jesus. Uh, here's what happens if you do step in a relationship. Here's what happens if you don't. Let's pray this in his prayer. So in elementary school, I had led a couple of friends to Christ um, where we had that, that conversation. Wow. I also became convinced that one of my friends uh, was demon-possessed. So sure. I did try to... What, ex- why, what tipped you off? <laughs> okay, this is the mind of like an eight-year-old, yeah, just yeah. so you know. What has he done? Okay. At the time, I thought that the game, the game, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time oh. was like demonically inspired or had, oh, yeah, yeah. had some kind of juju on it. And he was playing this game. And anyway, I don't remember the exact conversation, but I became convinced he was demon-possessed. And then he started talking in a demonic voice. So either he's a just kind of a strange kid who was hamming it up and he thought we were playing make-believe, but I really believed it. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably what just it was. you, yeah. So I followed him around the playground trying to exercise him. That was one way I tried to share my faith. <laughs> it's since become one of your favorite games of all time. It has. Yeah. I love that game. I I was commanding uh, commanding them to come out in the name of Jesus. Um, yeah, and that was in like year four, fourth grade. Okay. Or so, third grade. Then uh, I remember having in middle school, it more took the form of debate. And that's where I started to figure out, like, there's arguments that, like, you can mm-hmm. lay out reasons for things. And um, I remember having some pretty long debates with... Compel them on pain of irrationality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long discussions and usually revolving around problem of evil, that sort of thing. And I think they were good discussions. I don't remember everything that I said. The one that makes me cringe, other than it's not the de- demon possession one, yeah, but yeah. that does make me cringe. Uh, I had discovered the arguments of natural theology. Okay. William Lane Craig and yeah, sure. that whole bit real fan of the Kalam cosmological argument thought it was just great yeah couldn't believe that i had such rock solid ground to stand on for defending my faith 
Mm-hmm. I was working at a radio station, Christian radio station, and they do a fundraiser every year. And it's like you pull an all nighter, the whole crew's there. It's like yeah, yeah. it's a whole thing. So we're there. It's probably 11 o'clock at night. I head downstairs and I look out and I see there's a couple of drunk blokes out on the out, outside the doors, which are locked. And they um, they grab some of our balloons that we've got out there. And then they mooned us through the door. No. Like they <laughs> pulled down their pants and mooned us. And the guy who works at the station, uh, he riled up, like he arced up. He went out there and give me those damn balloons and shouted at him and whatnot, um, which I thought was not the most Christian thing to do in the world. But I went out there and I thought, this is my moment. Uh, they Because they started making, they started saying, you guys are so stupid. You believe in God or whatever. Yeah, else. yeah. And I was and like, your time has come. I was like, Kalam, yeah. cosmological. You, you're <laughs> equipped for this exact moment. <laughs> yes. I stepped forward from the group, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. a gang fight or something. Stepped forward and I laid out the Kalam cosmological argument. At midnight to <laughs> at midnight to you... two drunk blokes, <laughs> <laughs> which is if you haven't heard it, what is it? Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Boom, mic drop. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I'm I'm done. And they just said that's stupid. Someone just made that up and then started cussing at oh, us. Oh. And I was like, wait, wait, no, don't. You need to. Oh, I'm trying to reason to, with you. <laughs> appreciate the nuance of this. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so bad. So that's sort of how not to use those arguments. I really failed to read the room there. But I did at some point lean pretty heavily on the arguments of natural theology when it came to sharing my faith, especially with a skeptic or somebody Mm -hmm. who was sort of hostile to to religion or Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Um, That was the next phase that I went through. Also did the street preaching thing at OSU and and that's not that's not at all crazy of you to want to do that. I mean, just how how do I put it? It's a good strategy in the sense that natural theology is an attempt to appeal to mm-hmm. data sets yeah. that non-religious people would also endorse right. in order to get to a conclusion that they might initially uh, balk at. Yeah. So that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah that's right. I don't know. <coughs> I don't think I could say I ever convinced somebody, though, with in mm-hmm. those conversations. At most, I maybe gave somebody reason to reconsider things or like Mm -hmm. pause or something. Or I came across as maybe the most reasonable religious person they've encountered. It's not not, that strikes them as being fresh. But I don't think I ever just fully persuaded somebody Mm -hmm. with those arguments. I've also done um, street evangelism where there was drama and music involved. So when we went to India, that's what we did. We had a dance that we had learned, choreographed a dance just to get people's attention. Some pretense for a crowd to gather. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we'd stop and slam him with the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, so that's a little bit of our history, and I'm sure you, audience, um, you know, have done things like that also. Mm-hmm. So now, for us, on the other side of a call it a deconstruction journey, a doubt journey, mm-hmm. um, where some of the more foundational premises of Christianity. Mm-hmm. spirituality were at least in question mm-hmm. uh, to some degree. What does it look like to share our faith now? Like what what does that look like in my life today Yeah, or in your life? One, one of the big differences for me is now that um, actual relationship with the person seems to take priority mm-hmm. for me, more than conveyance of information and persuasion. I'm less, there's a the belief sense of, adjustment yeah, is not as central. It's not as urgent now. Um, I'm more willing to play the slow game, I guess, and like build a relationship with this person, embody the good news that I've uh, come across. And then, you know, when they ask about it or if conversations tend that way in an organic manner, mm-hmm. then I'm happy to talk about why I behave this way and not that way or why I have hope or whatever it happens to be. But I'm I'm not chomping at the bit to push that agenda. Like the relationship isn't just a um, facade mm. waiting for my secret theology agenda to make its way through. It's right, like right. just the relationship is valuable in and of itself. And I feel like people can sniff that out yeah. pretty easily when that's your underlying motive. Yeah, like a salesperson. It's right. like, you're a little too <clears throat> friendly, mate. Why? Yeah. What are you selling? It's almost for the same reason I don't really like... Not the exact same, but why I just totally cringe at anything MLM. 
multi-level oh, sure. marketing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, that, oh, you invited me to this party not because you actually like me or want to get to know me. You would like to sell me something. You want my money. Now I get in the Christian story and package you would want to try to be offering, you don't directly get a cut of the sale <laughs> in any meaningful sense. Well, maybe you treasure know? in heaven. Who yeah, knows yeah. what that is? <laughs> right, treasures in heaven. That's good. Yeah. How about for you? How's it changed? Yeah, I'd say the same way. I mean, I I just, I'm noticing in my story that I have not gone out and done that street evangelism mm-hmm. with gospel tracks and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say it was just because it was ineffective, which it was, at least in my uh-huh. little gang of people that I did that with. We did not see many conversions or mm-hmm. much fruit at all come from it. And, and maybe that is the sort of activity that is meant to be, I mean, we would tell ourselves this after a whole stint, like we, we plant the seeds. Plant the seeds, yeah. So we're seed planters and yeah. someone else in the body of Christ can water those suckers. <laughs> Which maybe later. happened. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Totally. You did plant seeds. But for whatever reason, I'm not trying to be that style of seed planter. And sowing seeds. At yeah. this stage. Honestly, and this sounds, that's a little bit meta of me to say this, but. I was going to say it, so uh, I'm glad you are. Uh, I mean, this. This is. What I'm doing with this project and what we're doing yeah. together yeah. is sort of that. I'm relaying my spiritual journey, mm-hmm. what I've learned in my life in academia and just life experience and trying to reason through big ideas in a hopefully winsome, engaging way to yeah to get at what are the great truths of this world that are really important. Yeah. Uh, and when you are, I mean, is what you're emphasizing different than what it used to be? Like for me, when I sit down and and talk to somebody about my faith, it's funny. I used to get so triggered by somebody who would just call themselves a Christ follower. Mm. You know, I'd be like, just, why is that? Just oh. pick a camp, pick a denomination. Like, oh. why, why are you being so wishy-washy? Like you wanted them to say Baptist or something? Yeah, or it's like, I, it made me think you haven't thought about it seriously or you don't stand for something. I just, I follow Jesus. Mm, what are you hiding, mate? Or like, what, what theology <laughs> wow. can't you get on board with? But now I've become that thing I used to be so skeptical mm-hmm. of. Like my, what I just, in these conversations... It, I just can't get past Jesus. It keeps coming back to Jesus for me. It's like there's something. What was revealed in Jesus was so unique and compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I am drawn to him and and his teachings. And so, right, I re- I center on him as much, if not more, than maybe I ever have. Um, even though, I probably wouldn't be as quick to maybe rush to scripture and whip out a bunch of verses and try to convince people that way. You oh, know, totally, man. Yeah. yeah. So emphasis on Jesus has changed somewhat for me, which I think is for the good. You'd be hard pressed to find a Christian who says that's a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. he really emphasizes Jesus. Well, what I found too with that approach, and it can still happen with the Jesus approach too, is how quickly a, particularly if you're talking with someone, I don't know who's at all sharp. Yeah. Just that it can quickly devolve into is the Bible historically reliable? Mm -hmm. Because if you're coming at people with, I don't know, the 10 commandments or stuff in the gospels that Jesus said, people are going to, Oh, why should I believe the Bible in the first place? And now like, that's a, that's a hard question to just immediately answer on the spot in a little street conversation or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was another reason I found that somewhat ineffective. Yeah. Yeah. So how about emphasis for you? What, how do you go about talking about your faith now? What do you, somebody says, you religious? If they ask that. Yeah. You religious, mate? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you could. What do you believe? Are you, are, are we mocking? A yeah. Whole... Yeah. I'm that inquirer at this point. <laughs> what do you believe? <laughs> what do you believe? Yeah. I would, I mean, if, if are you, you were a Christian, if you were to ask that, I would just try to reverse the tables and get them to be answering my <laughs> so questions. You'd be a politician. Okay. I, would, I would sooner try to deflect and. <laughs> Well, because I don't know, I'd, I'm more curious about what they think than what I think. I already know that, so interesting. I'd go that route. Like, why? Why do you ask? What What's important to you about this? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can. I'm pretty quickly. People will start talking about themselves. Yeah, so. sure, sure. Um, like if they're religious and yeah, yeah. Uh, like you, I'm, I'm much less inclined to, um, like, come right out of the gates and try to convince them to change mm-hmm. their preconceived ideas yeah. or uh, cherished beliefs and instead 
yeah, get into that relationship. I w- I'd like to establish trust and that uh, you could talk to me about anything and I won't think that you're like unsaved or lost or something. Yeah, I'm just yeah. not really like trying to trade in those categories. Yeah. Um, I just want to respect that person as a, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you are uh, a charitable, uh, like genuine inquirer. Yep. Uh, rather than someone with an agenda. Now, sometimes they can lose that if you like come out really militant and you're just trying to like pick a fight or something. Yeah. But I'm finding that that happens uh, less and less now. Even with the interactions online so far with this platform that I've had on YouTube and some of the comments, I mean, there's a way to like kind of um, dismantle the, the armaments of war that someone comes yeah. to the table with just by being curious and asking good questions and yeah. it kind of lets people's guard down like oh okay you actually want to have a a conversation where you hear my perspective and so you're not just gonna parrot that's some, good man some great truths yeah, yeah. That i already know like you probably think that so yeah that's <clears throat> really good i think there is more of a willingness now to entertain and and another person's ideas and being willing to hear them um, almost like as much as I say, I would emphasize Jesus when somebody wants to press me on what I believe I will emphasize Jesus, but I'm much more willing to stay quiet about which camp I might belong in, mm-hmm. um, sort of becoming all things to all people, you know, like yeah. I'd rather keep the conversation going and really hear what you have to say and where you're coming from. And eventually we will probably find some common ground somewhere, right. um, Whereas before, I almost took pride in setting myself apart as like, yep, loyal to Jesus, and that might alienate you, or that might, you know, I don't care if that offends you, and now I actually do care if it offends you. Not that I would be ashamed of Christ, but like, I want to keep the relationship going so you can see Christ's goodness for yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, whereas yeah, I totally. would have maybe called myself a coward in the past, I guess. Ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. I mean, usually, <laughs> and if I'm... If you'll allow me for a moment, I suppose, I with um, like my my strategy, so yeah. to speak, if I were to, you know, once I've laid that groundwork for trust and safety, I don't know if anyone else is annoyed, but I annoy myself with that word sometimes. Safety? But a little <laughs> okay. bit. Okay. Just, I don't know. It's a little bit soft. But, yeah. But yeah, like they can trust me and we can be honest with each other and have a actually good conversation. Okay. Once that's been established, now kind of what I've been working on in some of my professional work is thinking through how to approach spiritual conversations mm. with a religious inquirer, someone who wants to know whether God exists and what God is like Yeah, uh, in a way that is appealing to anyone that's just in that broad category of a, a seeker, a searcher. Right. And so really trying to harness their own self-interest in the matter making the project feel more real more central more existentially gripping to them yeah instead of what can sometimes be just this abstract uh endeavor to find out another truth about the world like, yeah oh yeah there's a god out there more accurate okay. metaphysic or something yeah. yeah but really coming at the whole <laughs> conversation in a way that is like you should really care about this uh-huh and less i mean well, what's interesting is, uh, I guess I've kind of come full, full circle. I I could have just said the same exact thing to describe what I used to do with I the know. gospel. Tracks. I was just thinking that. I was just yeah. thinking, you should really care about this. With the, you yeah. know, I you guess stand the, guilty. The threat right? of hell. Yeah. So I'm I'm just not at all trying to play that game anymore. Yeah. That's not the card I lead with that you are in danger of this eternal fate. But rather, no, there are some great goods. That uh-huh. you stand to lose if, you know, there isn't a God. What, or, yeah. Can you unpack that a bit for me? What would those be? What would be some of the questions you would lead with? Sure. So I try to paint what seems to be the universal human predicament, mm-hmm. the situation that we all find ourselves in, but that is categorically bad. It's like a bad situation to be in. <laughs> There's a problem we're all facing. And it... It is of gen. It should be of genuine interest to you to find out if there's a solution to that problem. Uh-huh. And the problem is threefold. One, there is this possibility that you will cease to exist at some point. Now you might say, "Oh, that's obvious. We're gonna die." Yeah, like your physical body 
will shut down and uh, and fail to operate. Mm-hmm. But the open question is then whether do you Tony die at that moment? Mm-hmm. So oh, another way of putting it is, does your personal death coincide with your physical death? And of course, a I don't know, an atheist or a naturalist would say, well, yeah, because mm-hmm. all I am is a physical thing. <clears throat> so when the body dies, then I'm dead. Yep. Okay. But there's this open question, maybe human beings are souls. So again, like this whole strategy is to not, is trying to presume as little as possible about anyone's metaphysical or even ethical commitments, yep. but just aren't you interested in persisting? Continuing to exist. And and those you love, like everything that you've ever worked for, that you've cared about, that holds some kind of value in your life, will, it seems to come to an end at mm-hmm. some point. I mean, point. we talked about that in that Stoicism episode, you right. know, mm-hmm. coming to terms with the transient nature of basically everything you've loved <clears throat> in your life. And I find that to be a, a predicament, a bad situation to be in. I mm-hmm. would like the things that I care about to persist. Mm-hmm. And so I have I have a real stake in the game to want to know if there's a way out of that predicament. Okay? Yep. Part two, um, moral failure. We are all in this predicament of having trenchant moral failure. We're steeped in it, and we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps as hard as we try. There is a, a point you at which... that's true? Because we make moral progress, though, don't we? Uh, yeah, perhaps in some areas, and then maybe not so much in others. Yeah. I am. Uh, it's a question that I am interested in. Mm-hmm. To what degree are we capable of self-improvement? Because the Christian message, I think, well, correct me if I'm wrong about this. Sure. Maybe I'm in two minds about it. Christian message is there's nothing you can do to make yourself perfect. There's nothing you you can never sc- sort of score enough points. You can never do enough good to be worthy of God's favor or something. Um, so I, God's love is unconditional for you. It's not dependent on what you do. Or you could say you had a debt that Christ paid and now his... There's all the sorts of language for atonement and how yeah, that yeah. works. Uh-huh. But also there is a message of sanctification that as you walk with Christ or walk with God and develop a relationship with him, that he will begin to point out things in your life. You need to change this. Stop saying that. Stop doing this. That's not mm-hmm. good for you or people around you. And there's some sort of cooperation that needs to happen <laughs> where I'm getting this prompting. I need to change this about my life. And then I can I can actually act that out. I can make a change. Like you, you meet, I don't know, alcoholics who are recovering and they... They are no longer, you know, living in the gutter. Yeah, totally. Okay. So so what's your claim exactly? That we so face- that what you just described is totally consonant with what I'm saying. Yep. Because in that story, there was an outside helper that came along and assisted in, in some, to some degree yep. in that moral journey. And, and again, you still did not describe someone, like what it really looks like and what it means for someone to traverse the the moral journey from uh to whatever degree ransacked by moral failure to blamelessness yeah to where you reach a point where you no longer <laughs> morally err right wow I mean, none of us are even we close ha- to that right yeah so moral and that seems like a bad thing like by definition almost right. if, if i mean if we're using that yeah. valuation term bad or undesirable in any way, then any kind of immorality would surely fall in that camp. And you'd want to, you'd have an inherent interest in seeing that go to zero. Mm-hmm. It would be better if we were all morally perfect. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, man. Can I help myself to that? Or <laughs> yeah. apparently I've had to spend a few chapters in my dissertation defending Explaining it. Explaining that. But yeah. Um, so for the atheist who says, Moral progress is capable without God. That's really the, it's possible without God. That's the flashpoint. Is, okay. is that part about can we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? That's a different question than can we attain perfection, right? Sure. Yeah. But, well, you'd have to say yeah. yes, and then how can we do it? Yeah. Can I do it, or can we do it by ourselves? Yeah. And the and the broadly speaking humanist project or that worldview is to say that any type of good is securable. Uh, within it's within the human species power to attain Mm -hmm. and so like a moral humanist might say oh moral blamelessness is attainable by 
either individual or the collective efforts of human beings. However long that might, I mean, it might take a million years longer, yeah. but eventually and, we could get there by our own devices. And But you're saying <clears throat> you don't differ from them too much in that you just say we could get there, but it would be with the help of a divine being that's sort of pulling us forward into moral progress in some way. That's right. I yeah. think so. Okay. Yeah. Some kind of a guiding hand for mm -hmm. it all. Okay. So death, moral failing. And then the third one is uh, the the apparent gratuity of evil and suffering. And gratuity just meaning like you would pay gratuity at a restaurant. That's a tip. It's over and above yep. the amount that you were charged. Except it's not in this country. People expect it. Right. Do you remember that first when I was still learning that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I walked out of a steak and shake. You said security was going to chase me down. <laughs> Didn't even know what I was doing. Uh, so over the top and abundance so applying that to evil, mm -hmm. it seems like there it, that evil is over the top in our world and suffering. There's more than needs to be for the amount of possible good that could come from it. Mm -hmm. We we all get that there's some there's um, redemptive suffering or there's some small evils that you allow in order for a great good to come. Really e simple example would be like working out. I am breaking my muscle down. Yeah, you know, I'm, it's painful. It's being wounded, or um, the pain that may come from getting a root canal at the dentist. Mm -hmm. Well, it's for the purpose of some greater good in the future, or punishing a child, yep. and like or reprimanding and sending them to the room. There's some psychological suffering. Yeah, but it's to produce like a well-functioning adult in the future. Hopefully, mm -hmm. all these cases <clears throat> seem pretty clear or at least that that concept is open right yeah that or that's a viable concept the question is is all evil like that or is there some that's just but purposeless? it just but it see i think it's fair to say it seems to all of us that just without thinking about it too much just on the face of it, like oh man that seems so over the top and unnecessary mm -hmm. uh to produce some good like i think about the times when i've been in the most pain i've been in whether it's a broke my ankle or whatever did it have to hurt quite that much could it have hurt just a little bit less and and still <clears throat> produce whatever goods it happened to produce as ripple knock-on effects yeah i mean you know? or i don't know there's a whole host of illnesses that are completely bonkers oh, and sure. hard to even wrap the mind around like just what came to mind immediately was the anencephalic children that are born without like an upper brain basically <sighs> and they're just very short sad little life wow um yeah. You could throw in the suffering from certain natural disasters, yeah, hurricanes. getting trapped and, and drowning. drowning did, did, did the hurricane have to be that big and whirl at this exact speed at this time to destroy this thing? And mm -hmm. I mean, you get into a lot of difficult problem of evil questions. We've, that's a whole other podcast that we did um, yeah. a few months back and related it to COVID specifically. So how does your... So, sorry, so just to yeah. loop that back in... That is a predicament we all find ourselves in, that the world appears to be full or at least have a great deal of gratuitous evil. Right. So that's a that sucks to be in that world compared to this other. There's a certainly there's a way the world could be where it's not that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe we and I can tell that I grapple with that. Someone that would Whether question that's that true. Yeah. in the paper. But um Suffice it to say, I think most people would be on board with that. And so to be saved or rescued from that predicament would be for a being to ensure that it's in fact not gratuitous mm. to have enough power, power and moral goodness and intellect to engineer the world in such a way that such evils are not in fact over the top, but are exactly necessary mm -hmm. or permissible to achieve some good yep okay i can see how that would be a better world to be in where there's a being like that crucially i remember from a previous episode you saying when it comes to laying out those three at least gets me to say yes i see why these are issues i should be concerned with mm -hmm. do you have hope of this rescue or do you have hope of <clears throat> some answer to these problems and yeah so what i do with that so once uh, we come to an agreement and again I'm not if someone disagrees with me I'm not gonna like knock on their door for the next week and plead with them <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know I'm just not in that space anymore <laughs> but uh, yeah if, we, if we're on the same page like this is the human predicament 
these are bad. These three things are genuinely bad Mm -hmm. and we should want to find a way out of them. So you have, I want to convince that person you have a vested interest in seeing if there's a solution. Okay. So what I try to do then is let's just call God. There's that word that means a lot of different things depending on where you're from. But for the sake of this discussion of religious inquiry, that is wanting to know whether God exists and what God is like, let's just call God that being that is willing and able to rescue you from that predicament. Hmm. Forget everything else that you've heard about God because it just gets so darn confusing and interwoven into like uh, your past church experience or whatever in these world religions and all these like really specific theological claims and doctrines. Just hold up, just move all that back and let's start here. You care about this. This is existentially important to you and to everyone Mm -hmm. in virtue of being a human this matters. And so let's call God the th- the thing that can rescue humanity from that. Yep. And as far as what sort of evidence for this God we should expect to find or like, okay, I'm on board with you, Clint. I agree. I care about those three things. I, I It would be great news if it turned out that there was a rescuer. How should I start? How should I go about figuring out if there is or not? How How is this not just wishful thinking and me hoping for it yeah so again this isn't an argument for the existence of god yeah that uh because you don't want to be in this predicament that therefore there is something that saves you from exactly right right. it could turn out that that uh the concept is empty set yeah and there's there's no nothing that satisfies yep the concept of god as rescuer if you will Mm But no, no, you, but you, you don't to... think we should give up the religious project? So, no, no. So are you asking then how? I'm asking to pursue evidence. Yeah. Well, as far as if if we're if this whole podcast is about how we share our faith, yeah. And you've now reached this stage in a conversation with somebody who says, "I'm I am convinced that those are the three important things, and I'd like to look for this rescuer." Mm-hmm. Why do you th- do you think there's a rescuer, and why do you think there is, or why should I think there is? What hope do I have to stand on or lean on? Yeah, so we can now, now that we have like a, the broad outline of this new concept of God that we're both utilizing, which is just willing and able to rescue from the predicament. Well, now what what might that God be like? And now we're, uh, with each step of this, we're kind of going into a, a slightly more speculative domain. Mm-hmm. But at least as far as our powers of reasoning and experience can take us, what what could we expect that kind of being to be like? Or maybe even what would that being have to be like to even be a rescuer at all? Yeah. So you might think uh, this being has to be everlasting. Mm-hmm. It can't itself succumb to death. Then there's not really a great hope that I will either. Yeah. So, right. So yep. this being is everlasting. It would also have to be morally perfect. If at any point it erred morally or made a mistake, I now lose confidence that it will be a genuine guide yep. for me in my moral progress. Mm-hmm. So we have an everlasting, morally perfect being uh, to solve the evil situation. I mean, you have to have quite a bit of uh, control in the driver's seat of yep. world events, the way things a, a, are, a, a great amount of power and knowledge. Mm-hmm. So an extremely powerful, knowledgeable, morally perfect, everlasting being. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so someone that might be worried about this concept at the outset, like we're starting to approximate. That sounds pretty classic. Yeah. That sounds like classic. It's a classic monotheistic. Yeah. But we, but see how we did that. We got there from a position that everyone can agree on. Yeah. Instead of read this book. Yeah. Right. Right. That was written a long time ago. Yeah. And maybe you do get some of those concepts from that. I think you do. And yeah. But here's a way that you can get to that point without using something that already has you committed to the whole inquiry being answered in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, man. Uh, so now, now we have kind of a, you know, a police profile sketch, you know, yeah. you know, where they write, have a, you seen this? Man? They ask the witness to describe <laughs> it. Okay. I'm looking for these things. It's an everlasting, <laughs> this morally perfect. Okay. So what would it mean for 
God to be in the business of rescuing when it looks this way. So a morally perfect God would want to self-reveal itself in such a way that doesn't override your free will, let's say, or would want to be non-coercive, hmm. um, particularly in the to rescue you from the moral predicament. You can't just like force your body to be generous or something. Right. It's like that. There needs to be a wooing. That oh. would be no rescue at all. Because yeah. uh, that would be categorically amoral. Just right. to force an automaton to do things. Right. So there needs to be, yeah, good. So some wooing. Character Some formation. invitation. Yeah. And some deft nimbling or being nimble and, and guiding someone. Yeah. Um, so you might expect the workings of such a being to be subtle, mm-hmm. uh, to not be extremely obvious, to be hard to come by in a way and mm-hmm. not... Um, not so spectator-ish and just observable from afar. I'd want the evidence of that being existence to be transformative inherently, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the reason why I, from the outset, distrust any real natural theology argument because it makes knowledge of God come on the cheap in a spectator way mm. that doesn't inherently challenge or lead to my own moral formation. Yeah. You don't necessarily need skin in the game. Yeah. That's really cool, man. I like what you're laying out. So this ultimately kind of leads to the advice of practicing a devotional experiment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's been called called that. And that means uh, making oneself available and open to receiving evidence of God in those subtle ways mm-hmm. and not expecting there to be uh, fireworks in the sky if God, God would write my name in the sky if he wanted me yeah. to believe him. None, none of that stuff. This is a deeply personal, transformative experience. If God exists, I think that if there is a being like that, yep. that's interested in rescuing you from your predicament, then that God would, would act operate. in those kind of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel like you have reason to think you've seen that in your own life. I do. And the reason I'm a Christian still Mm-hmm is I think that Jesus of Nazareth uh, is a good candidate for uh, like identity for that yeah. God as rescuer. I think Yeah, it fits the ske- the police profile pretty well. Yeah, and of course I, I could be wrong and I don't I don't have certainty about that. But as far as uh you know this eons long faith tradition has upheld Jesus as yeah. someone who is morally perfect and I can't prove that decisively. Uh, and and this also could be from my own cultural upbringing and um, tendency to imbue or to cast my vision of what God is like in Jesusy terms. Like if I have a religious experience, yeah, I might I might have this tendency to think of it in Jesusy ways. Sure, but at the very least, I do find myself thinking I'm having this experience of uh, the risen Christ. Let's say, yeah. Um, Part of the Jesus story is the conquering of death, which relates to that first predicament. Someone yeah. that right. um, it seems like has not undergone personal death in a way that corresponds to their physical death mm-hmm. uh, and seem to demonstrate mastery over it rather than like a Lazarus figure who there's a story of him resurrecting, but, but he didn't. He was subject to it all. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. it happened to him. Yeah. He did not make it happen. Right. Um, right. So again, those those myths i guess or legends or stories about jesus could all be mistaken and i'm and i'm incorrect but yeah i guess i have um so um we don't need to go into all the historicity of the gospels discussion now but i have at least some reason to think that uh those events did take place and i don't see other really good candidates for god as rescuer so in the meantime that's where my my credence level for Jesus as being a candidate that satisfies the God as rescuer concept is above any other individual mm-hmm. credence levels. Yeah. So thus I am a Christian, a Christian and I follow that being. Yeah. And I've placed my hope and trust in it. And that's rational to do. Uh, not only because the things I'm hoping for are in fact good life everlasting moral perfection and a world that's not uh, ransacked by gratuitous evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that that's the case. Here's this person, uh, that I think satisfies that concept. And then now I'd like to, 
yep. follow that being. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's where I stand now. And I have found that to be a relatively effective conversation style with someone. Um, it doesn't, what well, one good thing about it is it avoids some of the pitfalls that someone might encounter in the religious inquiry exercise. So mm-hmm. notice some uh, some notable, uh, honorable mentions, let's say, of properties of God that might be really typical, but I have ref- I have not talked about yep. creator, yeah, uh, ultimate reality. I'm not, say- I'm not saying that. Oh no, none of that. I mean, certainly some specific, uh, particular religious ideas are absent from that initial yeah. concept. Oh, the very initial one. Yeah. Uh, omnipotent. All the omnis and ms are out. Basically, the only mm-hmm. one I kept is omnibenevolence or all good. Yep. But omnipotence, omniscience, I don't you don't need that. That's some gravy. And maybe maybe that being is omnipotent and maybe it is omniscient. It could turn out, but yeah. I don't need that being to do that. It's not where you start the search. You well, you don't need to be to be the rescuer. Yeah. You just need to be sufficiently powerful. Right. Okay. Yeah. But then you avoid some of the like and I don't think most religious inquirers are bothered by this, but you do get into weird philosophical puzzles with these uh, superlative traits. Yeah, you do. All knowing. Well, okay, wait. Does that mean God knows all things that are possible to know? What are the possible things to know? What about the future? And yeah, if God knows the future, does that mean that has to happen? So we don't have free will and like, yeah, you just avoid all of that. Yeah, just like yeah, he's really smart. That's all <laughs> yeah. you need. It's interesting that you, yeah, you said creator isn't baked in right at no. the start. That's a pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the one I'd that's the probably classic. get a lot of pushback on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, again, that being that, so whatever individual satisfies the concept might might actually be a, the creator yeah. of all. Yeah. It's just that I don't need to use that as the starting place. Yeah. That's really, I like it, man. It's refreshing. So It's a refreshing approach. So that's how, when I do get into spiritual conversations with folks that are coming from a place of maybe agnosticism or atheism or mm-hmm. are genuinely undecided. That's how you share it. Yeah. That's good. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about how you guys are sharing your faith, what that looks like for you, uh, or if you have just avoided sharing your faith altogether since you've been on a deconstruction journey. I know at least mm-hmm. at certain stages, I would not want somebody to really press me on what I think about this or what I think about yeah. that, you know? So, um, yeah. If you have questions, uh, you can, of course, reach us mailbag at openatruth.com. You can leave a comment on this video. Clint responds to all of those. Uh, we'd love to love to get your perspective on this as well. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. <laughs>